Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Amen. Good morning, Life in the Sun. Is it, you know, it's funny. We have a, uh, at work, we have a staff meeting, right, that I go to. And everybody's got their little part that they come in. And, and if that person isn't there, you just kind of miss it, right? And so we've got our uh, wing historian that uh, when, when he has his part come up, he always gets up and he says, good afternoon, Team Anderson. And so it's, I don't know, it's probably, I, use this, I just realized today I use like the same thing every time I, I come up here. So, you know, that way you know it's me. There's, yeah, it's, anyway. Well, good morning. Uh, this is week three uh, of our series on the incarnation, uh, Rediscovering Christ. Uh, last week... Uh, Elmore brought us the king. Even though he misspoke, he said, uh, God, man. I was like, well, I was looking through my notes going, oh, no. Did I, did I do the whole, the, the, did, I, did I get the wrong study? But no, afterwards, he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I, sent, I, I said the wrong thing. So, uh, but, so today we're focusing on the God, man. And, you know, this is a really exciting uh, subject for me. It's something that, actually drew me to Christianity was this idea that Jesus was God. And it really piqued my interest as a, as a young person because, you know, even back then we had, you know, all these movies about, you know, the chosen one. And remember the Matrix, you know, the chosen one. And so it was always this, this neat thing that I was like, okay, I got to figure out what this is. I got to read books and I got to see what's going on. But Today's message, I think, uh, it's, it's a little bit of both because we need to have some application, right? It's like, okay, Jesus is God. Yeah, you're going to show me all these scriptures and prove to me that Jesus is God. But so what? What does it mean? And in relation to our series on rediscovering Christmas, it has a lot to do with the way that we look at Christmas. The way that this holiday, we could probably do a whole study on how this holiday came in, into being. And I know already I'm just going to say it up front that there's probably some, uh, you know, controversy as to whether this is actually a, a pagan holiday or whether it's a, an actual Christian holiday. I would, for me, I just kind of tend to lean towards if it was pagan, we hijacked it. <laughs> Amen. We're, we're, we're just going to make it Christian so that everybody knows that, yes, we don't know the specific day that Jesus was born, but we're going to choose today, if it's pagan, to celebrate the birth of Christ. Amen? So without further ado, we're going to get into the study, but before we do, can I pray? And Oh, and somebody reminded me, I don't usually introduce myself, but I try to. If you don't know me, my name is Chris. I am one of the leaders here at Life in the Sun. Uh, last name Brown, no relation. <laughs> but let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you're doing in each and every life in this house today. We know that each one of us are at different places. We're at different understandings of who you are and what you're doing in our lives. But Father, today I pray that your word, your purpose, your uh, uh, your divine authority moves us one step closer to a greater understanding of who you are in each one of our lives. Let the words today be, that are spoken be yours and not my own, Lord God, and let your heart reach out and touch 
every person that's in this house today. In Jesus' name. You know, God always sets this stuff up. I'm, I'm always amazed, you know, with all the worship and Jesus at the center. Today, I think if I wanted to say out right up front what the purpose of today's message is, is understanding that, yes, Jesus is at the center, but understanding why and how important that, that, that understanding is for each one of us. Because if we don't understand who Jesus is, it's going to determine the outcome of our life. It's going to, we're going to end up either a little off, and you know, that the concept being that you know, if, I just, if I travel a great distance and I just go one degree off, we know that by the time I get to the end of my destination, I'm going to be miles off of my target, right? So our target, obviously, is to be right where God wants us to be, both in our understanding and in our belief of who he is. So I think that's why today the understanding of Jesus being the God-man is so important. So the idea of Jesus being the God-man, there's a couple of uh, uh, of ways of understanding that. It's some terminology, you know, those big words. You know, instead of being a janitor, you're a, a sanitary custodian. Okay? These words, I'm not using them just, you know, so I could sound uh, more intelligent. Um, but I really want, because these two words, are, these two phrases really capture the meaning of what the God-man is. So the first one is uh, the idea of Logos Christology, which simply just means that the divine word becoming flesh. And the second one is, uh, this is a really $10 word, this is a hypostatic union. And so what does that mean? It means uh, the union of Jesus's two distinct natures in one person without dividing the person or confounding those natures. So what nature? We're talking about his divine nature and his human nature. He was both God and man, fully God, fully man, not half and half, not 50-50, not a partial. But we understand from the scriptures that when he came, he decided to become a man for a specific purpose. And that's what we're going to unpack today. Amen. And we're going to kind of move into the discovery of what that means in relation to how we view Christmas. Okay. So the first slide that, that we're going to cover is going to be basically on that incarnation. So if we want to go to the first, this is our covering scripture. This is John 1.1 and John 1.14. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So let that sink in for a moment, because when we think of somebody, we think of a distinct person, right? I think of Elmore, you know? Unless I've got double vision, there's only one of them sitting there, <laughs> right? Same thing with Van. Van's sitting over there, so no, I don't see three Vans, I see one. Okay, so this whole, and I know we've covered it before in different, uh, different uh, studies that we've done, is this idea that, you know, of the Trinity, God in three persons, but yet he is distinctly one. So today I want you, I'm not going to dive into all the, you know, the ins and outs of what that could be or should be or won't be or is, 
But I just want you to begin to reflect on the scriptures that I'm providing for you today because one of the things that jumped off the page for me was how interrelated and, and how uh, descriptive the different words are that Jesus used for himself and for God the Father. They're interrelated. It's like, wait a minute, God, are you confused about who you are? Are you Jesus? Are you the Father? Are you the whole? Which one are you? And his answer is simply going to be yes. Because he is who he is. And we'll cover some of that as well. Uh, you know, just a little preview. You know, Moses, when he asked God, who, who are you? Who, who should I say sent me? And he said what? I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. That's pretty deep when you begin to think about it and you meditate on that statement, I am. There is no personality. There is no, this, you know, I'm looking at Elmore, okay? Because Elmore, even though he's sitting in the front seat wearing a purple shirt, he is in amongst everybody else. He's a common man, just like everybody sitting in this uh, auditorium today. But God, wait a minute, God, God is not common. God is high and lifted up. He's far and above all rule and principality and authority. He's worshipped. He's distinct, but yet he encompasses everything. His power is immense, but yet he could restrict it to a point where he could come down and be a man and speak a whisper to somebody sitting next to him. It's not that he restrains himself, it's who he is. He can be all things to all men. He can be exactly what we need him to be. So keep that in mind as we move through the study today on who Jesus is. So the second scripture there where it gets a little bit more defined for us is it says, and the word became flesh. So we already know the word was God, he was with God, and now we understand that the word actually became flesh. That is the actual understanding of what incarnation means. It simply means the divine becoming flesh. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Next slide. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now we begin to move into kind of this Christmas story that we're familiar with. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So what does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. So we're establishing a pattern here. God needed to come and become a man, and we'll get into why in a little bit. Next slide. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And in John 10, 30, it says, I and the Father are one. This is where it began to capture my my imagination. I'm just like, wait a minute, God. This is getting a little complicated. And you say, yeah, complicated for you, but I understand what's happening. Eternal Father. <laughs> 
A child will be born to us, and his name will be called Eternal Father. This is where we begin to understand that, yes, there are some mental gymnastics almost that we have to do to understand the concept of the divine becoming flesh. It's complicated. We can, we can, can we agree on that? It's very complicated. And it takes faith, right? Because God is so far outside of our understanding that uh, we can't even grasp this. It's like the Trinity. It's, it, it, it's very hard for us to unpack, but I don't want any of you guys or any of us getting stuck there. Don't get stuck with this, well, I can't figure it out, so then I'm not going to move forward. No. I think as we go through the study today, you can trust that regardless of what your current understanding and viewpoint may be, God is who he is. He became a man. He became a man for a purpose, and that purpose was love. And it was hope. And we're going to get into more of that in a little bit. Next slide. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. There's that statement. I am is really a statement. I you know, did a little word study on this. And there's a couple of names that we both have heard before when it, when it comes to God. We have the, the, uh, the word uh, Yahweh and or Jehovah. These are both English uh, transliterations of the Hebrew word that simply means Lord or Adonai. Because when you go back and you look at the purpose and the reason for uh, this word, it was simply because at the very beginning, the Israelites didn't want to take the name of God on their lips, lest they take his name in vain. I'm like, whoa, that's pretty serious. I mean, they must know something about God that we have yet to learn. That even his name demands reverence. Right? It, there's, this, there's this impact that comes along with the, the spoken word of the name of God. This reverence. And so if that name became flesh and dwelt among us, wow, this is a lot bigger than I think we are accepting in our own heart. Yes, we might be Christians. Yes, we might believe. We might know Jesus. But the word also says that Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. He's God in the flesh. Exodus 3.14 said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The God of the Old Testament church is Jesus in the flesh. He chose to come and become a man and step into this world for, for a purpose. Next slide. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, or Christ Jesus, Titus 2.13. So here we have a, a new introduction of a, a word in this study called Savior. So this is going to help clarify even, you know, or solidify this, this understanding of God becoming flesh and becoming Jesus. Because in Isaiah 43.11, he said, I, 
Even I am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. So if he made that statement in the Old Testament, and he decided to come as Jesus Christ, it has to be God the Father. That's a reasonable deduction of this set of scriptures. And I think it properly solidifies the fact that Jesus truly is God in the flesh. Uh, when we're talking about John 1.1 in the beginning, and I didn't want to miss this, those words in the beginning are the same words that God used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So let's go to the next slide. Oh. Sorry. Oh, I know. Okay, I changed stuff around on my slides. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I got it. I'm, I'm with Hang in there, Chris. We're doing good. Okay. <laughs> so why did Jesus have to come as a human? You know, that, that's really the root of our question. Why, why? You know, why couldn't you just fix everything from heaven? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that would have been a lot easier. But the reality is it would not have been. There is, see, God is a God of order. But he's also a God of truth. And he's a God of justice. And he's a God of purpose. So in order for God to fulfill the part of who he is, he's got to act in accordance with his nature. So if God is a God of justice, our sin cannot go unpunished. It cannot go undealt with. God is a God that pardons, but he has to be able to have justice. So for God to just pardon us without proper justice, then he would not act in accordance with his character. So let's go to the next slide. Okay, there it is. You're looking at that going, okay, why is there a Superman S in the middle of Jesus? Because, remember, you know, God speaks to us in so many different ways. And I was... I was doing the study, and I don't know why, but I felt God just dropped this scene, and I found it. It was just really easy to find, and it's actually out of the, uh, the latest Superman movie, and I'm not going to say any more. I'm just going to let it speak for itself, uh, and just go ahead and roll the clip. I'll surrender, but only if you guarantee Lois his freedom. surrendering to Zod? I'm surrendering to mankind. There's a difference. You let them handcuff you? Wouldn't be much for surrender if I resisted. And if it makes them feel more secure, then, then all the better for it. What's the S stand for? It's not an S. On my world, it means hope. That's it. Real short, real simple. But the thing that captured me on this clip, first you see Superman coming down, and he made a, a very important statement that is so in parallel to what 
the purpose of Jesus coming in the flesh was. He said, I'll surrender as long as you let Lois Lane go free. What Jesus did for us was he surrendered. We thought, you know, just like this, well, he's surrendering to the devil. No, he's surrendering to mankind. But he's surrendering on the condition that the enemy lets us go because we are his bride. We are the, the apple of God's eye is what it says. Additionally, we see him surrendering when obviously he had the power to resist. Superman could have easily broken those, those shackles and done whatever he decided he wanted to do. But again, let me remind and rewind, God would not be acting in accordance with his character if he did so. His surrender was for a purpose. His surrender was so that he could redeem mankind. And that purpose brings hope. You know, when she said, you know, what's that S on your, on your, on your uh, chest? I said, that's not an S. That's hope. And to me, there's a parallel there with when, uh, when Jesus carried our, the wounds on his body. The crown of thorns, the, the beatings, the sword, or the... Uh, the piercings in his hands and feet. Many times we ask, Jesus, what, are those, what do those signs on your body mean to us? It means hope. It means that each and every one of us that are sitting in here have hope. And first, understanding who God is and who he came to be in this world and why he came is so important to his heart that we get this. Because if we get this, there's going to be not just hope, but we're going to be set free from things that we didn't even know we needed to be set free from. Because there's going to be attributes of his divinity that will begin to come out of our lives, our personality. How do they show up? They show up in different circumstances in our lives, different areas where uh, we get rubbed wrong or we put into scenarios. We go through super typhoons, right? We go through family emergencies. We go through deaths in the family. We go through a death in the church. And that divine character makes itself known in us. And it's up to us whether or not we want to obey, whether or not we want to Listen to that divine authority. Is that something that is appealing to you? Is that something that is good? Because it's a gift. And now we're beginning to get into the understanding of what Christmas is. We, we think about gifts, right? But I want you to start to think now about what is the ultimate gift? You know, we say Christmas is about the gifts that we receive and, you know, because it, it's, an, it's a... Uh, how do I say it? It's a, a representation of Christ's life to us. It's a gift, a gift of salvation, right? But it goes much, much, much deeper to that in, than that. And it also begins to expose the agenda of the enemy. Remember, I was talking about Elmore. He's just a man common amongst everybody sitting here. And we'll see in a bit. The goal of the enemy is just to make Christmas common. 
to make the gifts that you give to one another common. You got to do it. It's part of your culture. It's part of what we do. But here's Jesus sitting in a place of, a, of rule and authority. And he's our gift. So I want us to begin to, to put that into perspective as we move to the next section on answering the question, why did Jesus have to become a man? Next slide. And I looked, and there was no one to help. And I was astonished that there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. Whoa, there's a lot of stuff packed in this one little verse. But packed in this verse is the reason why Jesus had to become a man. There's two things that I think that I want us to, to, to glean from this scripture. First one saying, my own arm. Remember Jesus, our God said that, uh, that there is no savior other than him. I'd, I like to think of this as Jesus is simply the arm of God. He's, he is God, but this is a, a declaration in the Old Testament saying my own arm is going to bring salvation and his wrath will, upheld, will uphold him. What does that mean? That means that the wrath that God took out on Jesus Christ and that death on the cross was sufficient. It was complete. And it was a fulfillment of the action of his character for the purpose of justice. It filled that purpose. It was acceptable to God. Next slide. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons. So what I want to take off of this slide is simply, there's a word right in the middle of the slide that I want to focus on. The word law. God, remember, Jesus is the word made flesh. The word that they had in the Old Testament was the law, the Torah. And the law had to be fulfilled. Remember, justice. But who does it apply to? It applies to those who are under the law. So we bring in an understanding now. There has to be something that we give ourselves to. We have to be under the law in order for it to work. So how do we get under the law? We get there by faith. Because the law was not written for Gentiles, right? So it's not restricted, we know that, to only Jewish people, the salvation that Jesus brought. It has been given to the Gentiles. So in order for that to happen, we have to accept the story. We have to put ourselves in subjection to the story. We have to surrender to the story. And the story goes all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. That's why we have access to Jesus, because we put ourselves in the story. We put ourselves under the law. 
because Jesus is the end of the law for all those who believe. Let's go to uh, next slide, please. So Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify our for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. This is also why Jesus came, to purify us, to give us access to the divine character that he has so that we can live it out and walk it out to give him glory, to give him honor, and to display a character that we do not have in and of ourselves. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Next slide. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So propitiation, yeah, it sounds like another $10 word, but simply that means that, that God had to have justice. He had to have a payment for that sin. And Jesus was simply that offer of a payment. That if we accept it, then it gets applied to our account. And when we stand before God, that is held to us. And it is not going to be our sin that is going to be displayed before God on Judgment Day. Next slide. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Understanding that Jesus is at the center, that God came down and became a man in the person of Jesus Christ is so important because it is through him that we are saved. Next slide. So as we move in, I'm going to move in just a quick section and then wind down about uh, how this all relates to our understanding of Christmas. And it kind of starts here. This is out of Colossians 2, 8, and 9. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So Christi uh, Christmas, we all, you know, we see it all the time. We see it in articles. We see it come up about this time. Put, put Christ back in Christmas, right? That Christmas has become uh, so commercialized that it's all about buying and selling. Next slide. And this is the goal, right? Look at the picture. I mean, this is really the embodiment that, that Christmas kind of has. It gives us that warm feeling. We think about, you know, the time that we spend with family and the gifts that we give. And, but I want you to begin to look at this picture from a new perspective, okay? Look at the joy on her face. It's all about the gift. And in fact, there's, you know, after I began to look at it, I'm like, yeah, the, whoever made the photo, they must have put a light in the box you know, to kind of give this eerie glow coming out of the box. Because what I thought of with this was, whoa, devil, you're really deceiving the world in making Christmas so petty, so commercialized, so common, 
that this is really what we think Christmas is about. But Jesus, you said you are the light. He's the real gift. Next slide. This is actually out of Ezekiel chapter 28. This, this set of scriptures, there's, a, there's a, a twofold part of this scripture where it des describes a person and then it describes somebody that is obviously not a person. And scholars mostly agree that this is pointing to the adversary, i.e. the devil or Satan. It says, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Next slide. So Strong's definition of that word merchandise, it simply means trade, as peddled or trafficking in trade, trafficking of things. Uh, the actual textbook definition of a peddler, a person who goes from place to place smelling small goods. Small goods, okay? Here's what the enemy is doing with Christmas. He's making all these little gifts that we give to each other the most important thing. Small goods. He's a peddler of small goods. And meanwhile, Jesus, being the greatest gift, goes ignored and unimportant. That's his goal. So what does it mean to put Christ back into Christmas? It's simply remembering that Jesus is both God and man. He came for a purpose. And that purpose was to save us from our sin. A person who sells illegal drugs or stolen goods. A drug peddler. A person who promotes an idea or a view persistently or widely, peddlers of dangerous utopianism. Just an example. Next slide. And this is what we end up with. I want you to spend a lot to prove your love for your family. We don't need to go there, church. We don't need to be caught into this mentality that it's all about the gifts that we give each other. And, and it's not all about what we get. It's about the fact, do we have Christ at the center of our life? Do we have him as the center of this religious holiday? Because there was an article that I read also that, you know, albeit Christmas is a religious holiday, it is by and large mostly cultural and less religious. In fact, uh, the author stated that we could find ourselves celebrating the holiday of Christmas without even ever having to step into a church and worship God. I thought that was interesting. So next slide. Yes, thank you. So this is the true connection of what Christmas is all about. It's about Jesus being born. It's about him providing hope. And it's about him providing a direction for our lives once we grasp it and get a hold of it. So next slide. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative. 
but I speak the things as the Father has taught me. And I don't... I guess I have to format these a little different. I don't know what happened with the format, but that bottom scripture... Is actually Psalm 9:10, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. It's about not just us understanding who Jesus is, but and why he came. But I want to put a you know a, close this parenthesis in stating it is all of the above. It's having the complete understanding of who Jesus is presenting himself to us to be. He's God. In the flesh, he came to save us from our sin and to redeem for himself a people. He came to set right what the enemy did in the Garden of Eden, though that is not his direct purpose. And it is also understanding that what he did in the Garden of Eden was allowed. It was part of God's plan. And that every circumstance that we go through in our lives is set to test our understanding and belief of who Jesus Christ is. Who do we think he is? Who do we believe he is? What his purpose is for us as individuals? Because here's some of the common challenges we could run into if we don't have that proper understanding. We could try to please everyone but God. We could try to please everyone, and, you know, the concept being that, you know, i got to get Van that perfect gift. But, okay, I know he's into music, right? He, he loves, you know, all that electronic stuff. So I'm on Sweetwater. Oh, what, what is Van like? What is Van like? Right? And, I, and it's all about getting Van that perfect gift. <laughs> Look at it. <laughs> right? And so it, and it, for us, as the receivers of those gifts, it becomes, oh, I... I hope my significant other knows all about me and that I love this and I love that and you know I'll be looking for that perfect gift. But tell the truth, shame the devil, how much of us when we open that gift and go, they don't know me. I don't, I don't like Uggs. What the heck is an Ugg? They're boots and I live in Guam. What's wrong? You know, right? We start going there. Because we have disengaged and we've forgotten what Christmas is all about. So that's a common challenge. Another one is the gifts that God gives us become the focus of our attention and worship and not the gift giver himself. We don't and would not have what we have without the gift giver. And additionally, we may be sitting and go, well, why, I don't have anything even to be thankful for. I don't have much. I've got very little, in fact. You've got Jesus. You've got the greatest gift that you could ever hope for in this age and in the one to come. Church, our life is but a breath. It's just a string from one end to another, and we're just a little, little mark on that string. If I were to take a string and and mark it from one end of the stage to the other, and I just put a little dot in the middle. That's our life compared to eternity, even more so. That, that, that just barely begins to give us the understanding. Don't put all 
of your hopes and dreams into this life. Our purpose is to understand that Jesus is the most perfect gift. Because Jesus and the Father created a perfect world, a paradise. He did it beforehand so that we could see it, so that we could know it and we could understand it. He created this perfect world, this created perfect paradise. And then they rested on the seventh day. And church, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about God getting us back to the place of a restful, focused enjoyment of God and his creation. So today I just want to pray and give God the opportunity for you to reflect on where you might be sitting with Christmas and you might be sitting with the idea of God being Jesus in the flesh. And just let God begin to do the the hard stuff in your heart. Reveal maybe some misconceptions or some misunderstandings or maybe some unbelief. And then the same way that, you know, how much we like Superman and Superman would begin to show his S. I hope today that Jesus is beginning to show a little bit more of who he is to you. That he's more than able. That he's more than capable, that we are more than conquerors through Jesus who sacrificed himself for us. So whatever remains, just let God do the work in your heart. And we'll just give a couple of minutes. that your divine will and your divine authority came in the person of Jesus Christ. That if we lift you up and know who you are completely, it says it, then we will know who you are. We will know your purpose, we will know your life within us. Father, I just pray that over everybody in this house this morning. All of us, Father, I pray that we know you. Because Jesus, you said in your word that there will be many there on that last day. Saying, we have healed in your name. We have prophesied in your name. But Jesus, with a sad heart, you would say, depart from me, I never knew you. In the same way that it says in the book of Genesis that Adam knew his wife Eve and conceived a son, is the same understanding of us knowing who God is. It's an intimacy. It's a, it's a deeper thing of us being able to accept Christ into our heart, not just as 
some mental gymnastic, but as a true companion that we walk with from one end of our life to the other. That we simply, as we would trust a father or a mother, we lift up our hand and we give you authority. We take your hand, Father, and we willingly follow you, Lord, into the greater things that you have for each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name.